the Garden Hose Australia podcast, where we talk all things gardening. Your hosts, Jamie and Erin, will wander down the garden path with tea or gin in hand and discuss gardening loves, hates, new discoveries, interview some of our garden heroes, visit inspiring gardens and continue a discussion about plants that started over 30 years ago in primary school. Hello. Erin. This isn't bad. I think we're recording now. It'll be two episodes in two weeks that's, got, that's going out. That's a record for us. So productive. <laughs> that's, a, that's my middle name. I thought it was Narelle. Oh, shut up. We're not telling people that. I'm editing that out. <laughs> We'd already um, discussed your middle name when I was trying to oh, name Dahlia right. Seedlings. The Dahlia. The, the, the general public already knows because I blabbed when it came to Dahlia Seedling naming. Yeah, but didn't we land on Shelley Michelle? That We did. Yeah, far superior bogan name to Norell. I found a dahlia seedling in a pot on the side of my driveway a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, oh, no, what if this is Shelly Michelle? Like I'm pretty sure I drove Shelly Michelle to your house. I think I potted her up. Hmm. Yeah, and, I have um, got one from you. Well, there's a rando seedling at my house. I've planted it now because I don't know how your dahlias are going, Erin, but mine are all starting to shoot. Well, I was actually starting to check today and I think, I think I've actually got a couple because I just left mine in the bed and I think I've got a couple who have started with this really warm weather and that was actually, that should be our first order of business today. How about this weather? It's very spring-like. But, oh, but I think it's way warmer than I'd usually get here where I am. It's normally still frosts and and very cold. And in fact, there is someone local here who I follow on Instagram who has a farm here in Kyneton, was checks all these soil temperatures around the farm. And he did a check this morning and he was shocked that he's because he keeps meticulous records and said usually this time of year his soil temp is about 10 degrees on average. Um, end of September, early October, 21 degrees at the moment. Really? Mm. I'm seeing this too around here and all these things are shooting that normally it'd be a bit later. Oh, you know, the temptation is great to get all those chilies, those hundreds of chilies that Tom planted and it's like, oh, could I get tomatoes out? But then I'm saying, no, remember, remember the frost of 2022 that came in November and killed all of your tomatoes. Mm, the great frost of 2022. It feels like it was only a year ago. <laughs> but oh my god it lives on in our memory we often talk about that oh remember the frost I, I think I told you that um I killed tomatoes this year already with frost I got my students to pot some up and because every year I stuff up the whole I'll leave them indoors for a bit longer and every year I leave them in there too long and they get long and leggy this year I went too early and we don't normally get frosts in Mombog where uh, our nursery is. Um, we got frost and I think I killed off a couple of hundred of tomato tomato plants. That was disappointing. Mm. Mm, very disappointing. I mean, but at least with the tomatoes, you know, if you're doing it from seed, then as it's getting warmer and if you're in a greenhouse, you can, you know, they usually, uh, you know, grow pretty readily. Uh, but I must, it's it's the it's the disappointment. Like last year after growing like all the different varieties we wanted from seed, then they got killed. It's just like, oh, I don't have the heart to go back and do it. It's like. This year though, you have a friend that has just over 500 Thai chilies. I do. Um, right. So don't be afraid to go early with your chilli planting well, yes, what, what, so we had some discussion about this today. So what we think we'll do, we'll have a bed each way 
we'll put half out and keep half back. So then we haven't lost everything. Then you'll only need 250 from me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We'll be good. I actually just got out. Um, Tom was just doing some homemade pizzas for dinner and we just got off the out of the pantry. We've still got this huge jar of these uh, jalapenos from last year and we've sort of got this mystery shelf that has all these jars on it every now and again and remember that, oh, what's up there? Should we get that out? What's <laughs> another jar of jalapenos? <laughs> so I know when he said, I'm going to multiply the amount of chilies that we grew last year by about 10. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just really hoping everyone wants chilies for like their birthday presents next year. <laughs> um, oh, off Christmas? Oh no, they won't be. They won't be in time for Christmas. Birthdays, the birthday yeah. chilies. Now, covered weather. I have a question that I've been thinking about today, based on your Instagram post where you were talking about feeding your hydrangeas the liquid potash. So, uh, my, you know, I've got a row of Heidi's. Yep, and they're very young and they're budding up, but they're still very small and I don't think that they're not like exploding. But then where I've got them, I've got rows of a few perennial shrubs, small trees that I'm going to eventually use for foliage. So I've got uh, nine bark, um, I've got, uh, we've got snowberries, uh, we've got smoke bush, I've got magnolia little gems, all of these little ones, and they're all quite young, but they're at the point now where they're starting to have new growth on, but I really want to feed them up. I really want to look after these because I want these in a couple of years to go gangbusters with the foliage. What should I feed them? I think looking at the weather predictions for this summer are that it's going to be um, a long, hot summer. Mm. So I'd be thinking about plant health in terms of how can I best support my baby plants through a, a drier conditions when if you've only planted them out, particularly in the last 12 months, they'll need more support through their first uh, major summer. Major summer? Major summer. Yeah. A major. summer of significance. Oh, let's call it that. We labelled the great frost of 2022. True. Let's call this a summer of significance. Oh, yes, um, I like that, a summer of significance. Mm. Well, that feels like a lot of pressure, though. Um, doesn't it? <laughs> we'll have to reevaluate that in February. Was it a summer of significance? Let's, can you can you pop a note in your diary? Sure. I'm going to schedule that. Thank you. Um, because we both know I won't. And I'll barely know what you're talking about when we get to February and you remember the summer of significance <laughs> or not. Maybe you were talking to someone else about that. Feeding. Yes. Mm, get feeding. back on topic. Um, so a couple of things. Feed, mulch. You know the answer to everything is organic matter and compost. But mm. I'd be making sure that everything is well mulched with aged mulch. Or if you don't have aged mulch, feed your mulch. I do have some aged mulch. I was reading on the back of the liquid potash bottle that because it, it doesn't have nitrogen in it, so nitrogen is responsible for green growth. So what it does is helps to firm up plant tissue um, so it makes it stronger as well as uh, promoting flowers. So potash won't hurt you can you can get it in um, granular form or liquid form but I think basically with all of your plants whatever organic matter you can give them and mulch you can give them if you don't want to be standing out in your paddock with a hose do that yeah I think I'll do that I, and I think too I just need to there is grass around there I think I just really need to pull out a whole lot more and give them a really wide area for their roots to go without any competition of that grass just taking all the nutrients and goodness away from them. So the, the grass will also take your moisture when you get to mm. the really hot times of year. Oh, I'm just looking at my hair. I'm distracted. I know we're on a podcast and it's not a visual <laughs> medium, but I'm, I'm just distracted by my hair and the camera. It's looking amazing. I just did yeah, something it's very with it. flock of seagulls there. It's a flock of seagulls, you. Anyway, grass will um, will take the moisture. Hair yeah. will take the moisture out of your soil as mm. well. So a great example of this a few weeks ago in the nursery at work where I don't know how it happened, but some grass got into some pots and basically the root ball takes over the pot and 
when I went to discard the contents of the pot, you could just see how dry it was. And so it doesn't matter that it's been coming on every day. The roots have just filled the pot and you can't re-wet the potting mix then because it's just this, it's just a full root ball. So grass competition or any weed competition is, yeah, it's really competing for nutrients and moisture. But if you can cut it down and turn it into organic matter and mulch, well, that's delightful because then it's a resource. It's using mm. the um, food and moisture that's already there and then you can turn it into organic matter for your plants that are, that you want to grow. That is what I'm going to do in my kitchen garden beds the second half of it today, uh, this weekend, since we've got a long weekend here in Melbourne, which seems crazy for a football match, but uh, sure, I'll take it. Now, look, this will be our post-football match, but it's a public holiday for your birthday, Erin. <laughs> it is. I arranged that spectacularly well. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm going to work on that for me as well. Well, I'm planning to work on, oh, yours is kind of near a public, but it, doesn't, it comes after it usually, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm planning to spend my birthday in the garden, so I'm quite happy doing that, clearing out the kitchen garden beds before I plant the seedlings that we've grown up. So I did a bit of a cull out, but then because I haven't planted straight away, of course, it's grown all these weeds in there. But, yeah, I'm going to try to pull them out and just turn them over and then plant into it. So hopefully, um, hopefully that goes well. But we've had a school holidays at the moment here. I've had the kids out mowing. So oh, yeah. Oh, so good. And again, because it's been um, dry enough now, we've had these days, you know, consecutive days in a row of no rain, and we haven't had that for about six months. So it's great. We've done heaps of mowing. And because I must admit, I did get out there the other day to do a bit of weeding, and I thought, oh, feels like it's snaky weather and I was because the soil temperature is approximately 20 degrees in your neighborhood that is snaky weather my friend it is snaky weather it's waking them all up from their hibernation and I was having to put like gloved hands into long grass and I thought no I don't know about this so um I've been back at work this week but um Tom's still been off so he's been around whippersnippering and because I said look I know my ranunculus are all bursting into flower, but I'm slightly terrified of going out to the patch because there is so much long grass around it. So he went out on the mower and he mowed it all and he snipped around so I could actually get out there. And lo and behold, I've got heaps of flowers, which is lovely, although they don't, they're not going to last long with this warm weather. But there were two other people near here um, have sent through photos of the brown snakes that are, they've just found at their places. So they're here. They'll be here, definitely somewhere. Did you buy um? Did you buy snake bandages? Uh, we ever talk first aid? Oh, I don't know. Snake bite first oh, aid. We we do have a couple of first aid kits that have um a range of um, bandages in there. I don't know if any of them are specifically snake. I mean, I know Tom's oh, done love. the first aid kits for it. Oh, love. <laughs> God. I- I don't know how many years I've known you for. I can't believe we've got to this point in our relationship. Erin, do you know what you're getting for your birthday this year? I'm getting snake bandages, aren't I? <laughs> you wouldn't need to if you'd sorted this issue yourself. Well, I've got normal bandages, like stretchy ones that you go around it. Is How different how are do you snake do it? bandages? Did you how just dif- say to me, what are snake bandages? Well, I mean, how different are they from normal? Like, I know the theory of what like we, what you do when you get bitten and how you bandage the whole limb and everything. Can I do that with a normal bandage? Of course you can. However, fabulous <laughs> <laughs> bandages specifically for treating snake bites and they've got a rectangle printed on the bandage. And when you stretch your bandage to the correct tension, rectangle turns into a square oh okay yeah all right now look you'll live just bandage but why not use the technology that is available to you in your life i have met you you will be stressed if you're bitten (laughs) by a snake i will be stressed or if your children are bitten by a snake how will you know the correct tension of your bandage all right give me the snake bandages all right, I'm going to get I'm do, going to order them online. We have had a, a system since we moved out here with the kids is that once we get into snaky season, 
uh, they have to go out with a, uh, a buddy system when they go out to the paddock or the paddocks, whichever one they go out to, they have to take, <laughs> they can't go out by themselves uh, so that if one of them gets bitten by the a snake, they can stay still and the other one can run back and tell us they've been bitten by a snake. Touch wood hasn't happened yet, but uh, good. Levels of paranoia are high and you don't have the specific bandages. I know. It, it seems like a vacuum of responsibility, doesn't it? I'm really glad I'm in your life and I'm also glad that I'm coming to visit you very soon. I will bring the bandages <laughs> and I shall instruct you on their use. You know I used to teach first aid. Oh, this is true. Yes. It was like stand-up comedy with a first aid slant, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, it was meant to be more first aid. <laughs> comedy slant was meant to be secondary. Oh, that's good. No, no, I should get the kids in on that and you can tell the kids too. That would be good. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I run a group workshop. I'm quite used to running a room full of people bandaging themselves. <laughs> no, that'd be excellent. <laughs> that'd be really good. Well, and let's film it for Insta because, again, Erin, we are nothing if not educational. This is true. This is very true. All right, let's do that. Deal. I, um, and tell me why it is you're coming up in another week or so. Oh, yes. oh the Macedon Rangers plant fairs on. Is oh, that what yeah. it's called? I don't know, Garden Lovers Plant Fair in the Macedon Ranges, I Something. think. All I know is drive to Kyneton, find Erin. Erin will get me there from there. <laughs> yeah, so it's the Garden Lovers Plant Fair at Bollebeck in uh, Macedon. We went, we've been a couple of times. We went last year, which may have been the first one since COVID that they ran. And, uh, and it was way busier than I expected. Um, there was a lot more there, but it was excellent. I came home with lots of things lots of plants um i'm hoping there's more food this year i will say uh should i should i pack you a picnic just in case well yeah perhaps because there was a sausage sizzle and there was some scones and that was uh about it but to be fair i think like i mean the rest of it was excellent it was really really good and to be fair i don't think they were expecting the crowds that they got um and it was a bit tricky last year because last year it was super wet at this time of year and so where they normally did park in and set things up it was kind of underwater and swampy and we had to move things around so but that leads me to think this year um, when we're having great weather and that sort of thing it's going to be even crazier. Um, although having said that um, so we're on school holidays currently I start back um, teaching on Wednesday there's 25 millimetres of rain forecast for that day. Oh really? Yes. Ooh. The youth of Australia, they're going to love it. <laughs> Mind you, the weeds are going to, I'm seeing my garden and going crazy. They've had all this warm weather, then they're going to be hit by all this water. <laughs> they're going to go crazy. This evening I was working in the garden in my safety jandals, thongs, because <laughs> uh, I couldn't be bothered putting shoes on and I was um, digging you up. You obviously Dave. don't have my snaky problem. <laughs> I do I'm in complete denial about it I've got um I've got jumping jacks and oh we yeah. discovered we discovered a bull ant nest the other day oh, while okay. we were gardening I digress um I'm gonna do two stories in one dahlias everywhere dahlias. haven't dug them haven't divided them except for the bits of insta content where I'm like it just pops out so oh, I need a new spot because that, yes, I'd leave them in the ground, but, oh, they sort of took over and fell over and that's a very sunny patch. I know, I've got a new spot. I'll put in a little garden bed there and then I'm going to terrace it and I'm going to put another layer in about a metre and a half above it on the embankment. My son comes out and he's like, can I help? I'm like, just dig me a terrace with world's best spade. Um, <laughs> show him where I wanted to dig in here, dig along here. He's yeah, digging. helpful kid. Times. Um, Normally he, he lasts a couple of minutes and then he's like, yeah, I'm over this and off he goes. But he's digging for me and he's like, oh, mum, are these bull ants? <gasps> yes, they are. He opts not to dig there any further. I'm with him. that's okay. They weren't aggressive. They were surprised. It's <laughs> probably better than aggressive. <laughs> but I think if, like, if I was in my house and someone came crashing through with world's best spade, like that, that would cause me... Consternation oh. and surprise. Yeah, I, I, I'd probably be aggressive then. And this reminds me of uh, a conversation that 
this is a, a bit of a tangent. But when you're saying that if someone came into your house with a spade, how you would feel, Tom and I, like, Tom and I surprisingly frequently have this conversation about the zombie apocalypse and what we would do in the zombie apocalypse. And we feel pretty confident in our survival skills and our ability to grow our own food if all the means of production. The jalapenos. When the end of the world comes, oh, you guys are going to be fine for jalapenos. That's right. And we could make capsicum spray out of that. But we do talk about, you know, who we'd have. And we would totally have your you, your family, you, Andy, you, we'd have you guys there with the zombie apocalypse because we feel that maybe you would be helpful. You would bring the world's best spade. I would. I've had these conversations in in my life and my sister and I discussed what we'd bring and um my sister's partner he's a he's a prepper he's a better prepper than I am I'm just a oh, I'm a half-hearted prepper mm. um, oh Tom's a prepper and my sister said she's she's not prepared to do any of the work and she wouldn't have me wouldn't have a problem <laughs> with me saying this but she brings alcohol I'm like well, what yeah. are you what are you contributing and she's like I'll bring the alcohol I'm like okay <laughs> And then when we discuss this with my brother, we're like, well, what are you bringing? He's like, well, let's face it, I'm the only one here who can do what needs to be done when the time comes. So he'd kill us. Oh, crap, that could mean us. So we're like, oh, yeah, that sounds handy and scary. <laughs> Maybe doesn't guarantee you a place in the bunker. But, however, with a spade, at least he could dig the holes to dispose of the bodies. That's true. That's oh, true. You could almost dismember a body with world's best spade. Like if you... Oh, yeah. Stay your dividing. Anyway, t- <laughs> sorry, a bit of a tangent. <laughs> we got into the zombie yeah. apocalypse. If if anyone's here just uh, joined for the gardening info, we're totally circling back to that. <laughs> Rarely get onto the zombie apocalypse. It's our first zombie apocalypse. I think Us. it is. In our defence, it was about who's got the utensils when the time comes, okay? That's right. And I've got a pretty good seed collection now that I think, you know, saving seed, probably get through a couple of years, you know, of food if we had to grow our own, I think. We could build stuff, we build stuff in the garden. have got a couple of other people locally here. I think, yeah, they get a place in the bunker. Yeah, but do we like them? We like some of them, yeah. Oh, that's great then. <laughs> So dismembering reminds me of I was dividing dahlias for you on the back deck before mm-hmm. dinner, and ah, uh, look, I got them, I got them done just in time, and I was, yeah, dressed for the job. Um, had the thong footwear on, and um, because my eyesight is not what it used to be, I don't yeah. know why that is. I had my glasses and my head torch on, and a friend rocked up, and she's just looking at me, and she's like, "What? What are you doing? Like thongs, <laughs> torch, glasses, dividing dahlias? Why?" And Gosh, I love dividing dahlias. It's such a challenge when you can see where the eyes are. Some of my clumps, I don't think I divided them fully last year, so there's quite a few tubers on there. And um, I should probably check with you at this stage. The lovely big ivory dude that I've got, who I I don't know its name, Those, do you, do you think you can handle, Erin? Well, not too many because I'm actually going to use some of my flower patch for planting out some of my perennials I got from Protea Flora back in autumn that I haven't planted out yet. I'll make a new garden bed, Norm. But no, like, can you can you handle 20? Oh, yeah, I can handle 20. All right, I'll hook 20. you up. That's multiplied a lot. Yeah, they do. Hmm. Mm. I think it's I, the compost. Compost I oh, gave them. Yeah, mm. I really need to get onto that. Um, I've got a divide up. There's one you gave me last year in a big black pot. Oh, yes, the big purple clump. Yeah, and uh, I haven't divided that at all, and that is a monster now. So. I wouldn't divide it. Just plant it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Unless you want yeah. unless you want to borrow world's best spade and just stick the spade through it. No, nah, it's all right. I'll just plant it. Maybe I'll that can be a future me problem. Yeah, do that. Yeah. Oh, I dug up uh Cafe Olay. I only had about three of them. Um, and I'm quite controversial in my daily views. I like Cafe Olay, but I think the ivory one that I have is much more pleasing. To the eye. Oh, flower arranging. I know. However, I still divided the cafe au lait because I had three and I think um I think I might have lost two of them. I can't remember. The chickens got in and um scratched up all the labels, so I've got no idea what's what except <laughs> for that one cafe au lait. And I think I showed you on Insta that I don't really chop back my dahlias this year. Uh, study, I tell you, Erin, gosh, it's great to expand the mind. 
but it can really mess with pruning and gardening. And <laughs> I so didn't I chop find out. a day job actually uh, <laughs> messes oh, with my gardening. <laughs> yes, paid employment. Because <laughs> my, my cafe LA is the only dahlia that didn't die back and just have dead stems on it. It was reshooting from the top of the stem, which was over a metre tall, and I was worried then. I've never that, seen it do that. No, neither have I. Everything else in that same garden bed died back. Just that didn't. Um, and I was a bit concerned that, oh, no, if it's trying to reshoot from the stem, what if it hasn't got eyes that it's shooting from down below? So I dug it up and had a look and pruned it back. And I've made you a delightful video. I'll pop it on Insta. Oh, pop it on. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Um, I've been looking up grevilleas lately, kind of falling in love with grevilleas. Like move over dahlias. Um I've seen a zigzag grevillea. I, I was looking up. Uh, I was looking up some native plant growers because we're going back to um, you know Coranda Nursery at your way. Yeah, I haven't been yes. there in a while. I was saying, oh, let's go back out there. And I was at my mother-in-law's place because she's uh, moving house, and um, her she has a garden with lots of natives, and she had had a lot of grevilleas, and she had this yellow zigzag grevillea that was. Um, really these long stems, really long inflorescences, and then another one that was almost like a pale lilac. Nice. It's called, but, yeah, very pretty. So I'm thinking, um, so I'm trying to find grevilleas that will work fine here. They don't mind the cold winters, but there's quite a lot that will be fine here, I think. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'm going to look at planting over this spring and summer. I um, I don't think I have a lot more room for stuff. I think just shady bits. I've just got to get on board with, uh, I think it's going to be just more hydrangeas for my shade-loving well, did um I was away last week over in South Australia and I saw a lot of huge clivias or clivias. I think you say clivias, don't you? I say clivias. I do, but you can say whatever you like and we'll still be friends. <laughs> so um yeah, so there were some huge ones. They were they've been there for quite a while, but the flower what I like about them is that you you know, you get the flowers, then afterwards you get those berries, um, you know, if you like those as well. Could you, you that do well where you are, or do you are you not a fan? I like the creamy yellow ones. Ah, oh, yeah, so do I. They're quite um, expensive, aren't they? Oh, uh, look, I used to know a guy. Um, <laughs> you always know a guy. <laughs> you know, as part of my job, um, I'm expect to, expected to stay industry relevant and current, and it's all about knowing a guy. <laughs> I think you've got that one covered off. Yeah, but what else? Shade loving. Uh, well, it's hellebores. Yes, well, I've um, taken some photos of my hellebores, but I think I'll make you a little video to do with uh, the seeds on the hellebores because you can grow those from seeds. You can grow clivias from seed. I've done that. They just take a long time. Yeah, I think they're very slow growing, aren't they? It's a long-term prospect. Yeah. Um, I've got a few clumps from my mother-in-law, and she was a big be a grower but um, uh, yeah I think that that's going to be a long proposition yeah I think um, I'm doing a lot of hosta work potted up a lot of hostas the slugs and I are doing several conferences about what I think about them loving my hostas mm, uh, that was when you as soon as you said hosta in my mind I was like oh slug house yeah yeah, I mean, they're, they're pretty, but I don't have enough time in the world to get slugs off them. No, um, I, you've met that sister of mine. She lives in Calorama and she has clumps of hostas that are just in the garden and they just come up every year and they don't appear to um, attract slugs or be eaten by them. Now, I've had some th- thoughts about this because there are, you know, some things that I slave over and, you know, I'll try baby them and try to get them going. And she then I'll go to her house and see, oh, she just has that thing thriving there. Gardenias. And yes. And I have never been able to grow a gardenia. Um and maybe she's just got some perfect microcosm there. But I'm there's a little bit that I was thinking about maybe there is something to be said for a little bit of neglect in that like if you, you know, you've got all these things planted and you plant them, but you know, you might water them and feed them a bit, but sort of let them go. So you actually have a lot of diversity there and maybe there's a little bit of nature taking care of itself rather than, you know, me trying to create this perfect environment. I would also suggest that she is north-facing 
with mountain soil. <laughs> she just bought the good garden. <laughs> she bought the good garden. Well, good aspect and good bones. Yeah. Maybe I, that's it. I covet her north facing aspect. Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've got that. <laughs> I just have a lot of paddock grass. <laughs> but, and, and you've got different soil. I do have climate. different soil. Yes. But apart from that, you guys are exactly, you're like twinning it. <laughs> For my climate, my aspect, my soil, yeah, <laughs> twinning. <laughs> I was going to tell you something else when we were away last week over in South Australia. We were in a very delightful wine region. So, uh, but we came back with fruit trees. <laughs> I thought we might be. Oh, a farmer Tom in a nursery inspecting <laughs> yeah. trees. Yes, it was. So um, we did also come back with a little bit of wine, but more fruit trees than wine. So he's been out this week planting those in the orchard. So we got pecans. We went all in on the pecans. Fantastic. And here's uh, the woman who was running this fruit tree nursery. I can't remember what it was called now. Uh, I'm not sure. But uh, they had some great stock and some more unusual things. They did have some subtropical stuff that would never survive here unless we put it in the greenhouse. So we didn't bother too much with that. But, yeah, we've got pecans. And she was saying, oh, no, they really like a really cold winter um, followed by um, a warm summer. So, like, you know, the Mediterranean environment. So we've got some males and females of that. So Tom's been out planting those. But I got a terrific kumquat, a chinotto variety. And I have always found kumquats to be one of the more cold tolerant of the citrus. So I've kept it in a big pot because it's on a dwarfing rootstock so that I can keep it protected when I need to. But she had this amazing Chinotto kumquat there that was 40 years old and it was in a big pot and she keeps that well fed and she'll sometimes prune it and repot it. I tell you, the blossom on it and the fruit on the fruit were almost as big as mandarins. And what do you do with them? Well, you, they, it gets made into the drink, Chinotto. Wow. Yeah, sorry, I missed that. Like, oh, mm. oh so you you can turn them into a drink because all of them yeah. thinking, yeah, but they're just bloody kumquats. <laughs> I had, I used to have kumquats when I was in Melbourne and um, I did a couple of times uh, go through and use Stephanie Alexander's recipe to make kumquat marmalade and it was delicious marmalade and I think kumquats make the best marmalade but it's pretty arduous like removing all the pips and then you keep all the pips in a little muslin bag and you keep that in it so you don't release the pectin and everything. So I think that was before I had kids and at this point I'm like, there is no way I'm doing that now. But, you know, can I drink? Yeah, maybe. But I love a citrus blossom, the fragrance. So I would just keep it for the the fragrance to have near the back door. Squirt the kumquat juice like in some sort of, like could you juice them? In a blender, mm. skin, juice, seeds and all, strain it, put it in a super soaker, would it be acidic <laughs> enough to burn a zombie? Oh, doubtful. What about a zombie oh. in the eye? If you've got the zombie in the eye? I would go for Tom's jalapenos first before yeah. they come. Then I've got no space in my garden for a kumquat. <laughs> if it doesn't help with the zombies. I'm not going to make marmalade. Like what the hell else am I going to do with that? <laughs> but I also have pigs, so, you know. They, would they eat them? Oh, mate, they'd eat me if I stood there long enough. <laughs> they'd eat the kumquats. I've seen that on TV, on different TV shows where it's how you dispose of the bodies. But dismembering pigs, bodies, spades. You're talking citrus. That reminds me another thing that I popped on Insta, something chewed the bark off my blood orange tree. Oh, it looked like it was ring bark. What was it yeah. that chewed it? I suspect snails because, um, Snails you know, have ring barked it. Yeah, it could be either that or mice, but I can't see sort of chewing teeth marks. But, you know, I give all the great advice in the world about oh, make sure there's no competition from your grass and your weeds. <laughs> well, guess who didn't weed around their blood orange tree? Uh, mm. yeah. Ugh, so good at giving advice. Well, what's wrong with that branch on the orange tree? Why is that one branch looking no good? And I am... Um, parted the weeds and went, uh-oh, <laughs> some problems here. And then I put on the Insta that I wrapped it in grafting tape and I did mm. chuckle to myself like, I know where the grafting tape is, that's just in the cupboard and that, you know, I love that. It's good to have such things lying around. I think as well as snake mm-hmm. bandages, I'm going to bring you a couple of rolls of grafting tape just to just well, to have in your collection. 
I've been looking at Tom and I've just discovered that um, quite a few of our trees have all the barks all been eaten. They like the Cambian layer about uh, as high as a foot from a whole lot of our young fruit trees. And I'm sure it's the hairs around here. At the moment, we've got the most enormous hairs. Like Hugo was out there, my son, um, yesterday, and he thought it was a wombat. Oh. <laughs> and he went, so it's a wombat, you know, oh, excitement. He went, nah, it's just a hair. I don't think it's the kangaroos because they tend to eat the top of the trees. It's these hairs. They're just eating all that, that cambium layer off all of the fruit trees. So, yeah. Have ring back your trees? or um, I, I think three of them have been, and I don't know if they're going to come back. And they were, we've planted some um, apples and they're the cider apple, the old varieties, and I think they're going to struggle. In the orchard, I think the trees are big enough now that they'll be able to survive it but what we were looking at doing is getting some um, of that sort of black flexible tubing it's almost like a really heavy duty wetsuit material um, that we've actually we've clad any outside pipes so they don't freeze um, and of maybe getting that so we can slit it and wrap it around the trunks I think that's the only way to keep them off really be either that or wire but wire is annoying because it's going to get tangled in your grass and well we've got um, wire around some of them and it is a total pain to weed around and that sort of thing but we took wire off for a while because we thought the trees were going okay but um, then they got eaten by kangaroos at the top so we've had to rewire them but these hairs have dug under the wire and gotten in there so that's <sighs> why I think we need something directly on the tree yeah. it surprises me because like I mean I don't I, I'm not familiar with the diet of hairs but um it seems to me there is no shortage of food around other things they could eat to rather than dig underneath this wire, come up, I'm going to scrape my teeth along your tree and then I'm going to get away. There's grass and there's weeds and there's all these other things you can eat. I don't know why they do that. It would be about flavour because if you think about what you want to eat from your orchard, you could eat the grass and the weeds, but you don't. Yeah, but the bark, I don't eat the bark. Why not? I mean, maybe that's very tasty to them. You would have put cinnamon. Yeah, that's true. I probably would. One other thing before we finish on citrus, the other thing that we bought is a yuzu. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I'm quite excited about that. And so we're keeping that one in the greenhouse. We've got um, about four other citrus trees in the greenhouse that are going gangbusters. They're loving life in there. So I'm hoping we get something from the yuzu and in a couple of years we can be having yuzu cordial. I'm thinking about two things to do with ring barking. So my my blood orange, I can't believe it's still hanging in there. Like I've, I thought, oh, it's, it's ring bark completely, but I can't understand why it hasn't mm. dead. Or, it wants to live. It wants to live, but I'm, I'm wondering whether the snails, they have just chewed the outer bark off and the cambium layer is intact enough that there must still be moisture getting mm. through. So that's why I taped it up to see if I could stop the cambium layer drying out. Um, and then I'm thinking about your apple trees. I've got this fabulous grafting book um, somewhere. Quite a messy person, so I don't know exactly where it is. <laughs> it's definitely somewhere. Um, and in it, it has photos and examples of bridging grafts where specifically to deal with rabbit and hair damage. Oh, um, really? Yeah, they've got photos of a heritage apple tree in England. It's been ringbarked by rabbits. And so they've got apple, I've seen different examples of it. So you can get apple understock, so like a seedling type apple, and they plant the roots around the tree and then they graft, um, sort of building a bridge across that ringbarked section and graft above where it's been ringbarked. To, so that the tree has got a bridge for nutrients and moisture or if there's sort of a section of bark remaining above the ground that hasn't been chewed, you can graft into that and, again, build a bridge across the ring bark section with the top part of the graft, the scion, not the um, – so the tree is still using its own roots as its rootstock and then these are long pieces of grafting wood that go from down near the roots – up across the trunk to bridge um, where there's no bark and then grafted back into the bark above it again. Oh, interesting. Try and find some photos. Go on the Insta. Mm. It's fabulous looking stuff. That kind of yeah, stuff floats well, my boat. 
Well, it's a, I can see the point of doing that when you've got a tree that's, you know, quite valuable and it is an unusual variety that's hard to get and you really want to, you know, preserve that. So, yeah, I could see why you do that. It might it, it would depend on the time of year probably as well. So if that happened in winter, and maybe that's when your rabbits and your hares might be hungrier. Mm, so maybe yeah. they're after your fruit trees now because there's not as much food around mm. as the rest of the year. So maybe that's when fruit trees sustain more damage from that type of animal and it's yeah. the right time of year for grafting. So that's convenient. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. I'm not sure um, if it would work outside of winter. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Well, I've got to spend some time tomorrow inspecting the orchard and see what the state of everything. I have got, first time ever, lots of blossom on my Nashi um, fruit tree. Lovely. Yeah, so I quite like a Nashi, so I'm quite excited about the prospect of having some Nashis. Does your Nashi cross, need to cross-pollinate with something or is the Nashi self-pollinating? Um, That's a Farmer Tom question, isn't it? I'm trying to think. I don't know about the Nashi. I know that if it did need to cross-pollinate with something, we have bought it because um, when we were first buying everything to put in there, we did spend some time making sure we had the right amount of things that needed to cross-pollinate. So uh, let's hope that that, that's vibed (laughs) if it needed a (laughs) cross-pollinator. How are all your roses looking in that paddock? Yeah, they're looking um, pretty good. With When I came back from leave last week, I noticed that there was so much more new growth has come on uh, over the last couple of weeks of warmer weather. There's quite a lot there. So, uh, again, but because they've all grown, all the weeds around them have grown as well. So um, I had heavily mulched them, but um, the grass is all coming in again. So... Tomorrow we're going to be doing a bit of mowing around there to get that down and another load of mulch in there. I think they probably all need a bit more of a feed again, some solid watering. It's interesting with the roses though because they're planted down sort of over in that orchard paddock, which is down a slope, as you know, down a hill. And I think I've worked out just by looking at the health of the roses, the point down the hill at which I need to stop planting roses and things like that because once I get about two-thirds of the way down, hardly any of them below there um, have either survived or have they're far from flourishing and I think it's just because the soil gets so much heavier down there and the water just collects um, because it is a clay soil and I think they're just really struggling with the heaviness of the soil down there so but it's you know it's a really interesting way of working out where that line is. Add some gypsum on those lower ones. You know, I've never used gypsum and I remember your mum digging gypsum in and I've never, never done that. It's giving you a go. So? Like if, if you've got roses there and they're still alive and they're growing now, so now's not a great time to move them. If you were going to do that, then winter was good. But even if like, to get them to survive through to next winter quite well or better than they're going to, um, gypsum's awesome and it's relatively cheap. I don't know what form of calcium it is. It's I think it's calcium carbonate or something. Yeah, now my um, memory of gypsum when I was studying Hort that there is it only works on some types of clay soil and you you can do a test on the soil, the clay soil, like, you know, just at home, not a high-tech test, to work out whether gypsum is going to work with yours or not, whether it will bond with, I think, the particles and will work. It would be worth giving a go because it does react chemically with the clay particles and stops them sticking together so much. And um, so it might be a relatively cheap and easy solution or um, enough to get your roses through till next winter if you want to move them mm. from that section. Yeah, that's a good idea. I might just write down. Write that down because I often have good ideas like the use <laughs> of slasher herbicide. Oh, yeah. I had that on Insta, didn't I? That um, I had been saying that slasher just hadn't been working. turned out the grass just wasn't dry enough. So, although Tom did tell me after I actually posted that, he said, well, I don't know if that was the slasher patch. He said, I did use a little bit of a shandy of a few different things. <laughs> Roundup mixed in with your slasher. I don't know what it was mixed in with it, but he said he used all the slasher on its own until it ran out. And then he ran out of that and thought, I'm just going to go fossick in through the garage now and see what else I've got. And I'm just going to mix it all up together. <laughs> oh, freaking me out. So anyway, that's an arsenal you want for the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Do um, and but that's there's a term for that. So 
When you do your farm chemical user certificate, Erin, which I'm sure you'll get to any day now, sure. um, anything where you're mixing herbicides together or mm. with wedding agents or other additives that aren't listed on the label, that's called off-label use and it's illegal. Look, no one knows this because no one's at your house when that's getting done. <laughs> um, but say if you work for the local council, you wouldn't be doing stuff like that. And there's a there's an old farmer's mix of ingredients that I know of. Um, it's Galon mixed with diesel fuel, and um, by gosh, that'll kill some things. What's yeah. Galon? Galon. Oh, it's it's a herbicide specifically used for blackberries. It kills other things as well. I don't if tend it kills to use blackberries. It. it probably would kill everything. Yeah, and then um, so often people make a mix of Galon and diesel because the diesel helps it stick and. It's Pretty an interesting herbicide. <laughs> What's that? Pretty expensive mix nowadays. The price of yes. diesel. <laughs> Back in the day, it used to be cheaper. And but it's a really interesting herbicide. Not that I want to use it, but interesting in terms of throughout the Yarra Valley, in just outside Melbourne, Victoria, you can't use it. So even if you want to use it on your property and you don't grow grapes, your neighbours might grow grapes and mm-hmm. garlon um, can become volatile, especially if you have weather events with an inversion layer. Your garlon can sort of turn into a vapour and pick up and travel from your property oh, to neighbouring properties and it can travel quite a distance and grapevines are really susceptible to it. So you mm-hmm. you could, in theory, be a kilometre away from a vineyard and use garlon at your place and with the right weather conditions and an inversion layer um, it can pick up and travel and kill someone's vineyard Mm. so it's um garland's not a product that you're allowed to use in the Yarra Valley and it's interesting because people are like well I don't grow grapes and I should be allowed to use it but it doesn't stay within your property boundaries Mm. necessarily I don't think I really need to use garland I'm pretty happy if I go to a weed killer to use slasher Look, I don't use Galon, but I just think it's a fascinating thing. I'll stick him with Slasher. Mm. Yeah, well, it's actually turned out pretty well. I really do hope that you grass, you know, the concoction was just the Slasher where Farmer Tom's like, yeah, I'm not sure which one that is. But, gee, it looked impressive. Yeah, look, he's pretty sure that was all Slasher out there. So, yeah, it was um, good. But, yeah, that's the difference of just making sure the conditions are right when you apply it and having it completely dry. And I think it was just that having that dry week afterwards, that was, yeah, nothing else diluting it afterwards just made such a big difference. And it's just too big a space for me to get through to weed. Yeah, but keep on top of the weeds on the gravel now. Well, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. I was out there um, before I was on a phone call for work and just thought, I might take this outside and just pull up some weeds in the gravel. <laughs> the slasher, not pulling them out. Oh, no, yeah, well, I was pulling them out by hand. <laughs> no one's got time for that. No, no, I don't really have time for that. Though, when I was building the new garden bed for dahlias, I um, pulled out a whole lot of weeds, popped them in the compost, cleaned out the chicken house, put a whole lot of um, bedding from the chicken house and chicken poo mixed in. The compost is full. Oh, gosh, it's warmed up in a few days. I I went Mm. to turn it today and it is a steaming creature and the rats are still not getting in. Oh, perfect. Yeah, and I've started putting things in my green waste bin, not to put out on the Nature Strip for collection, but putting in some of the weeds that I have. Um, I've got a lot of alpine strawberry and that, gosh, it's a lot to be admired about weeds on occasion. Wow, it's tenacious in the runners that it puts down and mm. the way and the distance that it can travel. So I thought, oh, I'm not sure I want that in my compost. So I'm putting it in the green waste bin. And um, when we talked to Katrina from Blue Borage, she was talking about um, dealing with wandering trad. So I'm doing a mix of... of um, yeah. Uh, some weeds that I'm I'm worried might keep growing in my compost. So the alpine strawberry and a bit of wandering trad. And I'm going to chuck in some um, onion weed as well because, as my mm. sister reminds me, I love to overdo it. <laughs> I could just do wandering trad um, and see if it works, but I'm like, oh, well, I've got this bit of other stuff. I might as well throw that in. And because Katrina was talking about adding chicken poo to your weed receptacle to help turn it back into soil, so I chucked a bucket of chicken bedding with high content of chicken poo in there um, and I'm going to see how that goes. We've just got in our area, it's um, it's only 2023, just this month they are starting to pick up food scraps in the green waste bin. Oh, really? 
They've rolled out a system where um, they give you a little kitchen caddy bucket so you can put all your compost in there, but they're taking things like bones and seafood shells and uh, tissues and paper towel as well, and I think it's a fabulous concept. I don't need it, but then I think most of the people that I know do because they don't compost to the same extent as me, and I was yeah. just running a rack restaurant until Katrina sorted <laughs> us out. Um, you know, a lot of my friends are now like, oh, yeah, yeah I could compost again because we won't get rats. Like I can I can put this out and send it off, and so I'm really stoked that you can put things in there, like meat scraps, bones, shellfish. I think yeah, it's we've great. had that for a couple of years here, um, but, again, we don't use it. Because we're the compost or the pigs actually eat everything. Like we don't give them meat, but they will eat everything else. Um, so actually the caddy that we had the that that they gave us, we use as our scraps container for the pigs. So we just fill that up and the kids take it down to the pigs with their grain. But uh, actually the pigs had a bit of a, uh, it was a bit of a delicacy week for them last week because we were away. We have someone locally here who comes over and feeds them every day for us and so when we go away I I, you know I sort of you know feel like oh a bit bad that I'm leaving the piggies and so before we go I go down to the local fruit and veg shop and buy up like all their favorite things and I make it all up in like Tupperware containers and put it in the in the fridge and so (laughs) they get they've had a feed every day they get their tub of grain but then they also get each day all this cut up watermelon and cantaloupe and carrots and brassicas. So I think they're probably a bit disappointed we're back actually. Chicken sitting for a friend uh, recently and I was texting her about, oh, uh, yeah, so when you get chicken back, she may be a bit fussier about what she eats at your house because <laughs> she's discovered the concept of second breakfast and elevensies and she's like a hobbit. She's got little feathery feet. No, not hairy feet. And I'm like, oh, she really loves avocado. And my friend's like, you can't feed them avocado. It's poisonous to them. I'm like, oh, they're not dead. Like, oh, <laughs> can you not? I'm like, oh, okay. I haven't used that avocado. For apparently um, she, uh, she said it's probably just the skin and the seed, but they're not eating one of the, either one of those. Um, but, yeah, she suggested that I stop doing that, particularly for her chicken. I'm like, oh. Oh, they're so funny chickens. I sort of miss the chickens we used to have them in Melbourne and we haven't built a, because here because of the amount of foxes we have, I don't want to get them until we can build like Fort Knox for chickens. Yeah, they're funny, funny, funny little animals, so full of personality. I've I've stuck my two chicken ladies on Insta for us before. It's funny, I just don't love um, how much they want to be on our deck. Like I love them. They come and hang out at the back door and and they'll just sit there. They poo. Yeah. And... It's like they use their cloacas, right? Now, I don't know how a cloaca works, but I'm sure they're gripping it tight until they get on the deck. <laughs> and for some reason, they feel relaxed and the cloaca loosens and they leave turds <laughs> everywhere. Because there seems to be a disproportionate amount of turd to chicken. Maybe. Not as, ba- not as bad as ducks, though. Oh, yeah. And see, that's why I've said to the kids, no ducks, because of the poo everywhere. So I've sometimes thought, oh, maybe the ducks would be good in the garden. Like, you know, they eat a lot of bugs and that sort of thing. But I just couldn't handle all the poo. Still considering guinea fowl, uh, they can be yes. a bit noisy, but um, I'm just, you know, for the uh, keeping of the snakes away. Um, I wonder if we can get guinea fowl sized bandages in case they get bitten by a snake. <laughs> Surely my existing bandages can do that. You pin it down, Erin, I'll bandage it. Uh, but I still have to work through the whole, like, you know, I know some people get them and say, oh, they'll just roost in the trees, but then I've heard other people, they get taken by foxes. So I think you might still need uh, some housing for them perhaps. Just down the road from us, there's someone that's got, I think they've got guinea fowl, but they've got a big male turkey as well. And mm. um, oh, They're terrifying. Gosh, He's an impressive-looking creature. Uh, I was just disappointed because he didn't do the gobble-gobble noise at us. Uh, but I was like, are they lady turkeys? But I think they were guinea fowl. I think he's hanging out with a whole lot of guinea fowl. But he was clearly, he thought that I was threatening enough that he puffed up his feathers. And I took that as yeah. a compliment. <laughs> and he looked huge yeah, and just strutting it. around. I'm like, I reckon that guy's going to starve to death because he's not eating. He's strutting and puffed up. He's not getting <laughs> enough nutrients, I'm sure. Yeah, they they are. They're strange looking birds, really. Turkeys. The pilgrims got into them then. 
Well, they did. I mean, you can see why because they're so meaty. There's a lot to them. I know your sister's always been very keen on uh, getting us some peacocks here, but uh, yeah, they, they do enormous poos. Yes. We had very one several poos. several years ago at work that came in from a neighbouring property and decided it wanted to live on the roof of my classroom <laughs> and um, it would be there during the day and then at night it would come and sleep on the veranda um, oh, and it would leave giant poo deposits yeah and not so cute um but it was fascinating to watch teenagers who you know, their brains are rewiring and i'm always fascinated that they make it through life and they're not hit by buses on the way to school or anything because they, their <laughs> limbs don't always seem to connect with their brains and once i saw this giant student he, he was six foot something and he was only 16 and it was like he's, he hasn't quite got a handle on all the limbs yet and his boots were muddy and so i made him take off his boots before he came into my classroom and his mates were like, watch out, watch out for the peacock poo. And he was watching out for it. But the more he watched out for it, the more his foot was attracted to it. And he ended up stepping in this giant because it was like he couldn't control his limbs enough to not step in it. Now, look, the great thing about that poo was that it was semi-dry, so it wasn't too much of an issue. But it's like it all happened in slow-mo and I was just fascinated and couldn't tear my eyes off the situation. <laughs> oh, poor kid. <laughs> Do you have this kind of stuff happen in your workplace? No, but uh, I am in a kind of temporary workplace at the moment that I am finding equally fascinating. We're waiting for our tenancy to be fitted out at the new place. So we're in a, like a co-working space and, like, this is a cool co-working space, right? It's so cool that nothing's signed um, and, you know, you're desperate. Intuitive. Oh, it's very intuitive. Um, An intuitive space. Like you just should, yeah. like, know where And there's lots are. of, you know, the desk that you had last week isn't there this week. It's been turned into a podcast studio or a karaoke room or, you know, the ping pong table area. There's like beer and craft beer and cider on tap. There's fancy tea and all that sort of thing. But the other thing is it's a dog-friendly workplace, which I thought, that's cool. You know, I don't, my my dog went to God uh, late last year, but probably wouldn't have brought him to work. But if I had another sort of dog, that'd be all right. Yeah, it sounds good in theory. But uh, the thing is when you've got lots of people who don't actually know each other and their dogs have never met, all decide to bring their dogs to work on the same day. Yeah, it's not as much fun as you think it might be. So um, I've I've actually stopped going to the like the, this big kitchen communal area for lunch because I found that um, there's this Dalmatian that's particularly attracted to me. <laughs> it just really loves my lunch. And so I found that I had to eat lunch with like one leg and one arm out to stop the Dalmatian from eating my lunch. And then it was okay until the point where there's now a, a husky in there as well who decided to compete with the Dalmatian my lunch so I just said you know what fellas I'm just going to take it back to my desk um but because I was the last one into our sort of pod I was sitting at the end uh, near this sort of corridor and I had this crazy French bulldog that realized on this polished concrete floor it could do to do a run up and then it would slide on its bottom and smack into the back of my leg and it just thought it was hilarious and it was pretty funny the first couple of times but I then actually had a bruised shin for being smacked in the shin continuously by this dopey French bulldog. So it's a little bit out of control. And then the funny thing was um, two days ago we had um, a fire alarm went off and we all had to evacuate. And can you imagine this where like every third person has to take their dog down five flights of stairs with the rest of us. And so there's this huge noise going off. So some of the dogs are freaked out and upset. Some of them are fighting in the stairwell. <laughs> and then some of the people <laughs> had to carry their dogs the whole way down. <laughs> some of these dogs are enormous. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Actually, it sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's uh, in some ways dog-friendly workplaces are good, but <laughs> I don't know about co-working spaces when they're all strangers. <laughs> Um, towards the uh, end of my dog's life, he used to go to work with me um, and his, his legs didn't love the stairs and getting up and down one big flight of stairs. So I used to carry him up and down. And 
And that was great because it was like this weight-bearing cardio workout where my dog wanted to go. he was not a small dog. No, he's not a medium-sized dog. Kelpie (laughs) Border Collie Cross. Um, I reckon he weighed about 25 kilos, but I just felt like, all right, mate, well, I know your legs won't do this. I used to take him in the elevator, but it was so much (laughs) faffing around getting the key for the elevator, unlocking it, putting the dog in. He didn't mind it, taking him up and then taking the key back to reception. Oh, God, it was faffing around. So I'm like, I tell you what, mate, I'm just going to pick you up. And he didn't love that. He didn't love being carried up and down the stairs. And I think it was about his dignity. Yes, but, (laughs) gee, it was a great workout. Mm. Yeah. Be a good workout. I used to have to... um the last year of Addie's life I have to carry him on walks he still liked to walk we'd only make it halfway so <laughs> I have to <laughs> Steffi yeah carry the Steffi back for the <laughs> and he was probably about 19 kilos <laughs> um so all right so you're you're gardening tomorrow for your birthday there's I a football gardening. there's a football grand final coming up I was thinking of you last weekend because there was a team that you might have been hoping. Oh, yeah, the Blues didn't quite make it. We were very happy with how far they got, though. Um, But I've got to tell you, I'm barricading for the Lions this weekend. Yeah, look, I I think I might have discussed with you that I went through this crazy thing where, like, in our youth, you and I used to go to the footy quite a bit, didn't we? We did. Loved the same team we did. We did. And I actually find it really odd now when I watch football because I don't go to the football like I used to. But um, when I watch it, these kids are running around there and I'm their mother's age. <laughs> yeah. I knew I knew I was having a little problem with my relationship with footy when one day I was like, hang on a minute, these are all just guys in jumpers and just because some dude's <laughs> wearing stripes that go in one direction and other dude's wearing stripes that go in another direction, they're all just dudes in jumpers running around kicking a ball. <laughs> and I went, uh-oh, I think my barracking days are numbered. Mm, sounds like you start thinking like that instead of no the person in this colored jumper they are the be all and end all and we love them but we hate those other people in those other jumpers I'm like (laughs) yeah I think I'm done here and then I had this horrible realization and here goes our sponsorship with the AFL that we don't have and we'll never get you ready (laughs) worked out AFL football is a business and not a sport oh yeah you don't want to think about it that way because all the joy goes and if I'm going to barrack for a business it's Someone like Green Hip or Still that I'm <laughs> going to totally barrack for. barracking for them. <laughs> I'm barracking for them, uh, but I am not barracking for the AFL. They are too big and too powerful. And, you know, back then they had problems with racism. Gosh, lucky they don't anymore. I, I was like, uh-oh, your thought processes don't sound like someone who can really engage with the game as they did in their youth. Maybe you could get on board with the AFLW, though. I'm old and cynical. Love, I watch the AFLW, but I'm like, you know what? You pay those ladies, and I, I will note that they've just come up with a bit of pay deal. But I think they only got on board with the ladies because they worked out. And this is, look, I'm not great at numeracy, Erin. However, what I've noticed is half the population tends to be female or identifies as female or assigned female at birth. So you thought that maybe they thought that they should come like a hundredth of the way towards that? I think it was like a business decision about, oh, you know, we could include more of the population and make more money. Yeah. Okay. So, and then I I have these crazy things where I can watch the football and I have no emotional attachment to it. Am I up? Yeah, I'm, I'm well, because, you know, I grew up in a very uh, footy-focused family and had the blinkers on about any other team. But, uh, yeah, nowadays I can sort of watch another match and I do have my family here are divided two of us vote for one team and two vote for another uh, which my mother cannot understand how that can possibly function she told us very early on when I was still in primary school actually where I remember coming home and saying do you know some kids in my class vote for other teams well they don't vote for Carlton and they said that like back then in the 80s it was probably like you know these were a wild place. They, they were a wild place. And I was like, they said that Hawthorne's going to win this year and um, and then I should break for them. Like, you know, it's just sort of like putting out fuel. I was like, is this an option? And my mum said, well, of course, darling, you can go for anyone you want to. You just can't live here. And so she does not comprehend how I have one child who breaks for one team now or one child who breaks for another team. <laughs> It is a slight against her as a mother. Yes, she probably would take it that way. But anyway. Uh, raised you right, this is the scenario. That's My favourite thing about AFL football is 
that there's a public holiday for it. Now, I think that is one of the funniest things about the AFL. I don't know how this occurred. I celebrate it because it is for you this year, Erin, and <laughs> it is an excellent day for getting out in the garden. Um, I think it's just a replacement of show day because we used to have show day at this time of year. Oh, I've forgotten that. Yeah, 26th of September. We always had a September public holiday. And then some years ago, I think it was under the Kennett government, they got rid of it because in the name of productivity. Um, and I think every other state still has a show day uh, public holiday and we got rid of it. I could be wrong here, but I have a feeling that we got this grand final holiday in the lead up to an election campaign at some point, some years ago. Swing us back around to horticulture. Yeah, I'm thinking about the show day. I remember going to the Royal Melbourne show at Flemington with my mum, sister, Aunty Judy, and I used to like to buy myself a Cymbidium orchid every year. Oh, did you? You know, I've told you that I'm going to, in my retirement, I'm going to get into orchids, I feel. I love a Cymbidium orchid. <laughs> I think we've hit the big topics tonight. I think we've covered the zombie apocalypse. I, I think I don't think we can get any better than that. Well, Erin, happy birthday to you. Merry gardening and may you not get bitten by a snake ever or until I have provided you with the appropriate bandages. <laughs> Thank you. I'll see you next week at the Garden Fair. Bye. Bye. Just a note on our very catchy garden hose tunes, we have our original music composed and produced by Martini Toothpick. Martini Toothpick are Dan Zielinski and Mika Coleman. We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we reside and recognise their continuing connection to lands, waters and communities and recognise that their wisdom and knowledge has been passed on for thousands of years.